Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number 12, the final session on The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, uh, as we look at how the loonies are left alone <clears throat> in good ways and in sad ways uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of the war. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Devorah, you're right to brace yourself for a long class. <clears throat> it might be. Um, but because uh, we are getting through to the end here tonight and we'll see. I'll be as efficient as we can. Um, quick announcements. Remember that, first of all, our, our regional moots are coming up. Uh, we're just a little over two weeks away from New England moot in Durham, New Hampshire on the 25th of September and then middle moot on the 9th of October in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, encourage folks to sign up for those. There's still time uh, to submit ideas um, and proposals. So I uh, I, I uh, definitely suggest that you look into that. Been having fun uh, planning the digital element of the um, uh, of the of the hybrid moot uh, for New England moot. Uh, getting set for that, so that'll be a lot of fun. And the other thing, of course, to announce is we are approaching our discussions of the nature. I just like holding this. I keep holding this up in front of the camera just because I've been really looking forward to having this and I enjoy having it. So here it is. Um, the Nature of Middle Earth, uh, uh, the latest Tolkien book edited by Carl Hostetter. This very exciting because it contains so much new stuff that we've never gotten to see before. So we're going to start discussing that a fortnight from now on the 22nd of September, Bilbo's birthday, we're going to begin our discussion of the nature of Middle-earth. So I hope you will uh, all join me for that. Um, James, there's not... Uh, I haven't found any poetry in it <clears throat> yet either. Lots of prose. <laughs> so far, more math than poetry, <laughs> which was a little surprising. Uh, but there we are. Um, uh, so, um, anyway, Jocelyn, yeah, there, uh, there is not yet registration set up that will be coming soon. Um, in fact, we're going to be, uh, uh, we're going to be doing that a little bit differently. Uh, I'm going to be experimenting with something next time, which is going to be, um, we're actually going to be using, um, <clears throat> we're going to be using, uh, zoom, uh, for the next session. Um, that'll be an experiment on my part, but anyway, so, but that the link will be posted for that uh, soon. So anyhow, um, let us jump straight into the text because we need as much time as we can. So we left right as the actual attack. We left right when uh, Manny mostly sort of gave the um, uh, gave the order uh, to um, uh, to start ex to 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 launch Operation Hard Rock. And uh we were, of course, looking at the kind of um, the overlays, right? All of the stuff that Mike was doing on Manny's behalf and, and Manny felt better than he could have done it himself, right? Um, there was, uh, there does not seem to have been any, I don't detect anyway, Manny being upset about it. Like the ways in which Mike took the initiative and used his voice and did things on his behalf and stuff like that. He seems fine with it. Um, 
but it's uh, difficult not to um, be a little uneasy, right? A little uh, 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 trepidatious. We were kind of talking about this, like, you know, what exactly does this mean? You know, what is the significance of these lines being crossed? Um, well, we'll see where we end up with this. So the actual attack plan for Operation Hard Rock. A maximum of instructive Schrecklichkeit with minimum loss of life. Uh, Schrecklichkeit means uh, frightfulness, I I believe, if I'm understanding that, though I know I'm not pronouncing very well uh, that uh, word. Um, With minimum loss of life. None if possible was how Prof summed up doctrine for Operation Hard Rock and was way Mike and I carried it out. Idea was to hit earthworms so hard would convince them while hitting so gently as not to hurt. Sounds impossible, but wait. Would necessarily be a delay while rocks fell from Luna to Terra. Could be as little as around ten hours to as long as we dared to make it. Departure speed from catapult is highly critical, and a variation on order of one percent could double or halve trajectory time Luna to Terra. This Mike could do with extreme accuracy, was equally at home with a slow ball, many sorts of curves, or burn it right over plate. And I wish he had pitched for Yankees. But no matter how he threw them, final velocity at Terra would be close to Terra's escape speed, near enough 11 kilometers per second as to make no difference. That terrible speed results from gravity well shaped by Terra's mass, 80 times that of Luna, and made no real difference whether Mike pushed a missile gently over well curb or flipped it briskly was not muscle that counted, but great depth of that well. We needed this extreme accuracy to achieve maximum frightfulness with minimum to zero killing. Call our shots, tell them exactly where they would be hit, and at what second, and give them three days to get off that spot. Okay. Um, let's see, okay, Arthur says it's a bit naughtier than that. Uh, often translated terribleness. Okay. Terribleness. I can... I can s- I can see that. I can see that. Um, okay, so um, this is a really fascinating strategy, right? Um, and uh, remember, remember the approach that they took when they visited the Earth. Remember all of the emphasis on their weakness, right? Um, how Manny was never allowed to let anybody see him up out of his wheelchair, even though he could get up out of his wheelchair. Um, and Prof never even sat upright. Um, he was always lying flat on his back, um, on his, uh, you know, wheeled bed, right, as he was taken around everywhere. Um, and so, again, they, they, it, was, it, was, it was strategic that they were, they were trying to appear weak, right? And now they're flexing in two different ways, Right. First, the amount of destruction that they are able to wreak on Terra, but secondly, the precision with which they're able to do it, right? It's not only their force that they're kind of framing here, that they're sort of boasting about, but um, their uh, their competency, basically, right? We can place these exactly wherever we want them to be. Oh, and we can predict to the second when exactly they're going to hit, Right. If they can do that accuracy. And of course, as we'll see, the response on Terra um, is um, uh, dubious. 
right? They are doubtful. You remember there's the, there's the one guy who says, like, the places where they're aiming will probably be the safest places to be. Though, of course, he's not heard from uh, after he draws an X on the target and stands there waiting for it. Um, but um, because they are, of course, very accurate, and they do succeed in, uh, uh, in doing this. The people of Earth have no idea... Um, how they can do this or how they like how they're capable of this kind of force or how they are capable of this kind of competence either. And the first is due to the fact that they don't they take for granted the gravity of the earth. Like they they, they don't understand the gravity well. Um, and as gets explained in that second paragraph, um, how long it takes like, you know, how long they send it orbiting around the earth until it, you know, crashes down just when they when and where they want it to go. That kind of thing matters a lot um, based on the exit velocity from the catapult. But all they have to do is just push it over the hill. Right. And it'll fall uh, to the earth because of the earth's heavy gravity. Um, so and it'll and they'll all hit with the same speed, because, again, that's just that's just that's just physics, right? That's just gravity acting uh, on a falling object, and it doesn't matter how fast the object is starting off, right? Um, they're all going to end up at about you know if they're all in free fall, they're all going to end up at the same speed. Um, and um, anyway, so you know he he explained this you know so to 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 Mike to Manny, this is really simple, right? Um, uh, and of course, we will see all, also when the rocks start landing uh, that the earthworms they they don't understand. I mean, nobody understands. Nobody other than Mike and Manny understand what happens when you throw a rock at the Earth at this speed. Remember, he had to explain it uh, to Wyo and Prof as well um, that it looks like a nuclear explosion, uh, and they get accused of uh, nuking the Earth. Um, when uh, the first rocks hit and there's like, look, which like, don't you know what happens when a meteor, again, uh, look what happens when a meteor hits the moon, right? That's, that's what happens when a rock hits the moon. Uh, So that's what happens when a rock uh, hits, uh, hits the earth as well. Um, uh, Now, Jocelyn, as for explanation of why the rocks don't disintegrate in the atmosphere, uh, if the rock is large enough, it won't. Um, and uh, I don't know if the steel jacketing that they're putting around the rocks. Um, I know the steel jacketing is necessary for the catapult because it's a it's a it's a um, uh, the catapult works by magnets, so it has to be steel cased. Um, but uh, but I wonder if that's supposed to be part of it too. Arthur says because science fiction, possibly, possibly. Um, uh, I I mean. My impulse at this stage in the book anyway is to give Heinlein the benefit of the doubt here. Um, And if he set me up for this on a bluff, then it worked uh, because most of the rest of what he said has made sufficient sense, um, uh, you know, from a physics standpoint that I'm willing to to roll with him here and not check it out. So who knows? But um, uh, anyway, there... um, uh, yeah, yeah. They're um, 
And I agree, Stephen, you're right. They probably didn't fully encase the rocks in steel because the steel is their limiting resource uh, on this whole thing. Um, they run out of rocks to throw at the end or almost run out of rocks to throw at the end, uh, not because they've run out of rocks, right, but because they've run out of steel. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. David suggests that anything larger, uh, you know, anything of, of you know any reasonable size uh, is going to survive the atmosphere. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I it, it seems plausible uh, to me. They're talking about fairly large size rocks. I mean, uh, I don't remember. Did they say exactly how large the rocks were? They gave a mass for it, didn't they? Um, the number of um, uh, the like number of kilograms or something like that. They're, but they were large. I mean, these are boulders they're throwing uh, at the Earth. Um, significantly sized boulders. Um, not they're not just throwing small rocks. They're being compared to baseballs, but they're nothing like the size of baseballs. Um, okay. Oop. More. We warned that our bombs would be as destructive as H-bombs, but emphasized that there would be no radioactive fallout, no killing radiation, just a terrible explosion, shockwave in air, ground wave of concussion. We warned that these might knock down buildings far outside of explosion and then left it to their judgments how far to turn. If they clogged their roads, fleeing from panic rather than real danger, well, that was fine. Just fine. But we emphasized that nobody would get hurt who heeded our warnings, that every target first time around would be uninhabited. We even offered to skip any target if a nation would inform us that our data were out of date. Empty offer. Mike's radar vision was a cosmic 2020. But by not saying what would happen second time around, we hinted that our patience could be exhausted. Notice again, there's a, there's a, I find it a really interesting correlation, right? When we look back to what they did, when, like how they presented their case and how they presented themselves when they, that is Prof and Manny, were on the earth before. There were two trends that we were, um, <clears throat> There were two trends that we that we were noticing before, right? One was that they were, as I already said, they were showing themselves to be weak. Practically, in retrospect, right, as we see from Prof's explanation, practically begging authority to attack, right? To, to convince the authority that they would be really easy to wipe out. Um, and notice even like the way in which their physical weakness while on Earth um, invites this kind of fallacy of reasoning, really, right? Um, that is, it's going to be hard for the authority not to picture uh, Prof and Manny on Earth, right? Weakened by Earth's gravity when they're imagining that they've never been to Luna, right? And so when they're imagining invading Luna and the loonies fighting, you know, fighting them off, they are likely not only to attack because I think it'll be easy to take them, but also to underestimate the strength of the resistance, right? Because, I mean, how can you... It would take... It takes a very active, active imagination to look at the people that you're staring at who can't even move, right? And be like, these guys... Like, how could a nation full of people like this possibly resist us, right? Even though you know, in theory, back home, you know, they're not bedridden uh, back home. But still, um, it ingrains this image, this idea of them. So encourage them to underestimate them, but most importantly, encourage them to attack. But the other thing, 
the other thing that we um, uh, the other thing that we were noticing is how continuously they were maintaining the moral high ground. Right, we talked about it's all about the high ground, um, the gravitational high ground, but also the moral high ground. How they kept maneuvering, prof especially kept maneuvering the authority to say the indefensible things, right? To be explicit about their desire to enslave them and exploit them um, and, uh, you know, put them in this position. This was, of course, first and foremost for the sake of convincing the loonies, right? Um, Of what the position was and that they had to fight, that they had to resist um, the authority. It was for the benefit of the loonies primarily that they were coaxing them, coaxing them, in, you know, positioning them into saying these things and making recordings of it, um, but also for the Earthlings as well. And here we can see, we've already seen they've reversed that first one, right? Instead of trying to look weak anymore, now they're trying to look strong and strong, as we said, in more than one sense. Here, um, with the emphasis on the humanity, right, maximum of frightfulness with minimum of um, of actual damage, right? Ideally, no casualties at all if they can possibly help it. Um, they maintain the moral high ground, right? We are not stooping to your level. You have oppressed us. You have attacked us. Um, you have murdered people in our warrens. We could and maybe should retaliate, but we're not going to just retaliate in kind, and attack you. You attacked. Um, uh, you attack a civilian population, right? We're not gonna attack a civilian population. So once again, they're maintaining that moral high ground for the benefit of the loonies, but now I think also clearly for the benefit uh, of the earthworms. And you can see, in a sense, how they've been playing the long game on this. No, when they were down there, they weren't trying, really trying to prevent the war. They needed the war to happen. But knowing that the authority was likely to attack anyway, right, um, they nevertheless were also trying to set this up because Prof and Mike certainly had calculated. Not only do we need a war to happen, we need to win that war. And there's only one way that they can win the war, as has been made clear all along. Um, And that is to to sap the earthworm's will to fight it, right? If they can, if they strengthen, if they, if they went after, um, you know, if they retaliated by going after major cities, right, uh, with their first round of bombing, um, then they would ensure that Earth would do anything, whatever they had to do, in order to, like, destroy Luna, right? Um, Yeah, and David, I do agree with you that they are also projecting strength by maintaining the moral high ground as well. Uh, Mercy and forbearance are characteristic of the strong. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, You're right that the weak must normally be ruthless to prevail. Um, That very sense of, like, look, we're trying, we're trying to pull our punches here, right? We're trying to be as easy on you as possible. I mean, obviously, because you can tell how precisely we can target these things. We could have been wiping out millions and millions of people, but, you know, we're trying to be nice up here, right? Absolutely. It, it puts them into a, into a position of strength. Um, yeah. Attempts were made to jam our messages, but we were beaming straight down on several wavelengths. Hard to stop. Warnings were mixed with propaganda, white and black. News of failed invasion, 
horror pictures of dead, names and ID numbers of invaders, addressed to Red Cross and Crescent, but in fact a grim boast, showing that every trooper had been killed, and that all ship's officers and crew had been killed or captured. We regretted being unable to identify dead of flagship, as it had been shot down with destruction so complete as to make it impossible. But our attitude was conciliatory. Look, people of Terra, we don't want to kill you. In this necessity, in this necessary retaliation, we are making every effort to avoid killing you. But if you can't or won't get your governments to leave us in peace, then we shall be forced to kill you. We're up here, you're down there. You can't stop us. So please be sensible. You can't stop us. We are this unstoppable, the unstoppable underdog, right? Because um, all they've got to do is push rocks over the edge of that gravity well, and down they fall to Earth. Um, yeah. Um, frightfulness, right? Notice um, the... Uh, the FN tries to downplay the invasion itself, right? So not only are they boasting, right, that they have in fact defeated uh, the armies that were sent up after them, but also confirming that it actually happened, right? Um, and notice how they make that personal, right? Um, they make that personal by, you know, because if they just said like, oh, you know, this number of soldiers came up here, the FN could say, oh, no, that's not, that's not true, right? We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't send that many or we didn't send those people. But by broadcasting to everybody across the earth the, the, the names and ID numbers of the soldiers who were killed, those soldiers' families are going to hear that, right? Um, and awkward questions are going to be asked one way or the other. Um, so um, anyway, so that's... Um, a really effective uh, piece of propaganda to show them, and of course, and this is where we see one of the major trends, right? One of the other, what the entire focus, what winning the war means, what has to happen in order for them to win the war, is for the people of Earth to say it's not worth the cost. It's not worth the cost. Um, the cost of like what they can do in retaliation, the cost of what it's going to uh, take for us to send people up there, the cost in human life. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Carrie, you're right that Earth does control the media, um, but it's not quite as perfect as Mike's control of the media in Luna. Right. Because they try. They try to intercept it. Notice they're trying to intercept the warnings. Right. Um, presumably because they could. I mean, which is an interesting thing. Right. I mean, like the the humanitarian warning. This is where we're going to strike. So get out of the way if you, you know, because we don't want we want to make sure we don't kill anybody if, if possible. Um, that would seem on the surface a kind of an odd thing for them to try to to block, an odd message to try to jam. But of, but again, it suggests how effective it is as a show of strength, right? Um, but Carrie, you notice they, um, um, they can't, right? They can't successfully block it um, because they're sending it down on multiple wavelengths. Whereas Mike, 
Mike controls like almost every receiver uh, in uh, uh, in Luna, so he can pretty much control the whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, David, I agree. Yeah, David says it might be worth considering the era when this was written. There were still a lot of ham radio operators, and it would be very hard to prevent them from hearing these radio messages. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, even if the official news channels are controlled by the FN, um, they can't uh, they can't stop the signal, right? Um, whereas Mike controls the receivers, uh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Exactly. Good. Yeah. As Steven says, Terra can only control the broadcast centers and relays. Mike controls the end devices themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. That's the difference. Um, so, right. As you said, this is what it all comes down to. We explained over and over how easy it was for us to hit them, how hard for them to reach us. Nor was this exaggeration. It's barely possible to launch missiles from Terra to Luna. It's easier to launch from Earth parking orbit, but very expensive. Their practical way to bomb us was from ships. This we noted and asked them how many multi-million dollar ships they cared to use up trying it. What, what was it worth to try to spank us for something we had not done? It had cost them seven of their biggest and best already. Did they want to try for fourteen? If so, our secret weapon that we used on FNS packs was waiting. Right. Uh, the little calculated bluff about their secret weapon. Um, yeah, our mining, our like drilling l- lasers, right, is their secret weapon. Um, but um, but yeah, like how much are you? And of course, notice this doesn't even say anything about the toll in life. Right. Which, again, they've been broadcasting as well uh, to make sure that that also is clear. Um, so, yes, going to be this is it. This is the core of the entire campaign. Um how much are you willing to invest in this before you call it quits and give up? But then we pause for a moment. This is one of the last pieces of uh, world building. We hadn't learned about this before, right? And we get this interruption, which I think is a an apt and appropriate interruption, uh, right? Because um, uh, Ludmilla is killed during the battle in corridors, Um which Manny doesn't find out at first, but finds out after the battle is over. Um, and so we hear about Mila's, um, Mila's funeral, um, and which leads to our learning what we had never learned before, which is what are the funerary practices uh, in Luna. Did not stay long, couldn't, had work to do. I saw Mila just long enough to kiss her goodbye. She was lying in her room and did look as if she did be simply sleeping. Then I stayed awake while my beloveds be- with my be- I stayed a while with my beloveds before going back to pick up load. Had never realized until that day how old Mimi is. Sure, she had seen many deaths, some her own descendants, but little Mila's death did seem almost too much for her. Ludmilla was special, Mimi's granddaughter, daughter in all but fact, and by most special exception and through Mimi's intervention, her co-wife. Most junior to most senior. Like all loonies, we conserve our dead, and am truly glad that barbaric custom of burial was left back on old earth. Our way is better. But Davis' family does not put that which comes out of processor into our commercial farming tunnels. No. 
it goes into our little greenhouse tunnel, there to become roses and daffodils and peonies among soft-singing bees. Tradition says that Black Jack Davis is in there, or whatever atoms of him do remain after many, many, many years of blooming, is a happy place, a beautiful place. We can serve our dead. They go through a... Now, I don't fully understand exactly what this means. Um, they put the bodies through a processor, right? So, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a... It's a recycling process, basically. Um, do they take the water out? Um, this is making me think of Dune, right? Uh, but do they, they take the water out? I mean, it does sound like human composting, is what it sounds like to me, too, uh, David. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, they, they, they extract the water and the minerals, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and then... So, but they don't... I, I guess, apparently, it's common uh, in Luna for the... Um, you know, the recycled matter, right, uh, from the corpse uh, to then be used, what, as fertilizer, soil, in the farm tunnels? Um, but at the Davis family, they don't do this, right? When they have a, uh, when they have a family funeral, um, they instead spread that which comes out of processor, he doesn't even have a noun for it. Notice that which comes out of processor um, into a special greenhouse tunnel that they have. So the dead are there, are reserved there <clears throat> in the greenhouse. They become roses and daffodils and peonies among soft singing bees. Um, yeah, yeah. And Arthur, you're right. I mean... On the one hand, there's little difference, right, between this and burial in one sense. Um, you know, for dust they are and to dust they shall return and all that kind of thing. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, they're more deliberate about this. What, what interests me is his characterization of burial as barbaric. Which is really interesting. I don't... I mean, again, partly... And it was another reason why I was so interested in this passage is that I was, like, all of a sudden made to feel like an earthworm again. After I'd mostly adjusted, uh, I was suddenly an earthworm again. Because I'm like, why is that barbaric? I mean, I can understand why I can see the beauty of this, right? While, notice... I mean, the idea of taking the body of your dead wife and um, putting it through a processor and composting it seems distasteful, right? Um, I can understand why perhaps there would be a similar kind of distaste to somebody from this culture, right? From a totally different culture. Um, but um, uh, but barbaric is a strong word, right? That's not just like, I find it weird what earthworms do, or I find... He's actively... I'm truly glad that barbaric custom of burial was left back on old earth. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is about it um, that uh, Manny finds so particularly barbaric. Um, wasteful, comparatively, sure, yeah. Um, and that, of course, could easily, you know, very readily be explained by the comparative scarcity of resources uh, in Luna. But it does, that doesn't seem it, right? That it, it's, it's, it's not just like, and it's like shockingly wasteful. Barbaric. A, a barbaric custom to be left back on Earth. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe. Maybe Ray's saying, since they're trying to keep the cycle as closed as possible... Um, right, just exactly as you're suggesting, like they do with like their water, right, which is a very close cycle. Um, since they're trying to keep the cycle as closed as possible, burying the dead without returning them to the soil would be seen as wasteful and non-beneficial to the community, so that might be seen as barbaric. I wonder if it... Notice how he suggests a connection here between Ludmilla and Blackjack Davis. That is the most recently dead, but not just the most recently dead, the young, you know, she is the junior wife, right? So she's one of the youngest members of their family. Um, and Blackjack Davis, who is the oldest original member of their family. So, you know, there's this continuity between Ludmilla and Blackjack Davis um, that uh, suggests more than just like, and it's beneficial for the family or beneficial for the community to, uh, you know, to recycle. Um, but this quasi-physical, quasi-spiritual uh, connection among them, right? Um, you know, he doesn't say anything like, you know, their spirits linger there in the little greenhouse tunnel, right? Um, but it feels almost like that, right? Um, it's like they're you know, their physical presence is there. And so perhaps that's the key, that what feels barbaric is that the idea of taking the body of your loved one, shutting it in a solitary box and burying that box in the ground, that isolation, right, that sense of isolation, um, even of separation, right? Uh, would it feel to um, to Manny like you're taking the dead member of your family and you're like isolating it, kicking it out. Right. Um, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if that's, um, uh, I wonder if that's kind of the way that he's thinking there. Um, now you're right. Uh, you're right. Mudmore that they, they do live under the surface. Um, and so, Several people are talking about some of the um, uh, sort of practical matters, right? I mean, if you had like a bunch of coffins buried, you're digging tunnels everywhere. It's going to lead to awkwardness sooner or later, right? Um, and the, I, I hear that, but that isn't enough, it seems to me, um, for, um, you know, to necessarily explain why he would feel it was barbaric. Um, I mean, like, awkward, sure, that makes it awkward. Um, but, um, 
Um, but yeah, I agree, you know, with Arthur, what you were saying before and David, that the greenhouse becomes like a family crypt or a family plot, right? But more intimate than that, right? More integrated than that. Um, you know, they are the, the roses and daffodils and peonies and even by extension, the bees, you know, the soft singing bees, those are, they are physically connected to them. Right. That it's it's they are it's part of them. Like, again, your your dead family lives on in the greenhouse uh, in some sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Now, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Stephen Keen is saying the moon doesn't have the bacteria or insects necessary for things to rot naturally. So would the bodies decompose at all? That's interesting. Yeah, perhaps this is, like again, yet another one of those ways in which Heinlein is thinking through the what-ifs um, really impressively, right? If there are none of those bacteria and you don't have you know, the bacteria or the insects, what would happen to a dead body? Would it decompose? And if so, how? And might that difference be a big part of it? Possibly. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and Stephen, uh, that's a really great point. Stephen Cover is saying that... Uh, the the greenhouse tunnel the kind of that sense of connectedness and continuity um that is provided with this image of the greenhouse tunnel um is also very evocative as stephen argues of the the line marriage right that the davis family has the line is unbroken the marriage doesn't ever really end unlike a marriage uh you know between two people um there is no till death do us part in line marriage Right. Even in death, they're not parted. They're still all part of the one continuous line. Um, having the remains continue on in the greenhouse seems an extension of that. I agree that that feels exactly right to me. Um, right to me in the sense of I think that's a, that seems to be exactly how Manny thinks of it. Right. Um, exactly kind of what we're supposed to be uh, thinking there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. Anyway, so brief uh, uh, pause to, to consider funerals, which, of course, is foreshadowing as we're going to be thinking a lot about death uh, as we get towards the end here. But more soon. So we've got Mike and Manny working together. Now, we already talked about how um, we were already seeing how the, the story was kind of coming full circle in one sense. Right. In that we, we started with Manny and Mike working together and then, you know, we involve all these other things. But in the end, we were back to Manny and Mike working together on the ballistics and, and getting Operation Hard Rock. And of course, when the attack comes and it's just it's just Manny there with Mike. Wyo is out of the picture. Prof is out of the picture. It's just Manny and Mike again. Right. Um, and we get a lot of that here throughout this process. Um, and this was a really fascinating moment. Um, when uh, Mike has a problem, right? 
Manny is telling him to take a look through the telescopes. Take a look. Okay, I have. Why? That's a good scope they're using for video, and there are others. Why use radar on ships till you want Brody's boys to burn them? Mike was silent at least two seconds, which for Mike is like a stunned silence of, of, of hours, right? Man, my best friend, did you ever think of getting a job as a computer? Is sarcasm? Not at all, man. I feel ashamed. The instruments at Richardson, telescopes and other things, are factors which I simply never included in my calculations. I'm stupid. I admit it. Yes, yes, yes. Da, da, da. Watch ships by telescope. Don't use radar unless they vary from present ballistics. Other possibilities... I don't know what to say, man, save that it had never occurred to me that I could use telescopes. I see by radar. Always have. I simply never consider... Stow it. I mean it, man. Do I apologize when you think of something first? Mike said slowly. There is something about that which I am finding resistant to analysis. It is my function to quit fretting. If idea is good, use it. May lead to more ideas. Switching off and coming down. Chop, chop. This is the only time in the entire book when we see Mike not exactly making a mistake, right? But an oversight. Mike is Mr. Considering All, um, considering all possibilities, right? Um, taking all factors into calculation, running multiple different potential scenarios of all possible options. Um, and, um, and he overlooks a massive one, right? Just totally, because he's always used radar to see with, right? To, uh, to It just never occurred to him that he could use telescopes. And Manny thinks of it, and he is stunned. Um, can't stop himself apologizing. Doesn't seem to be able to even come to grips with the idea that he's stupid, right? As he says, that he over that he that he never that he overlooked this, that he didn't consider this. Um, now. Yeah, Ellen, I agree. Um, Jocelyn and Ellen are both saying this is one of Mike's most human moments. Absolutely. We've seen Manny and Mike coming together, right? Um, to the point where Manny, or Mike was, um, sp you know, speaking, he was ventriloquizing Manny, right? He was performing as Manny. Nobody outside the room knew any difference. They didn't even know what was Mike and what was Manny. Right. Um, but this we haven't seen yet. We've seen him being able to imitate humans more and more convincingly. Right. With his Adam Celine thing all the way up through the, the big reveal of the video picture and then continuing on after that. Um, but here we see him show something which seems like human weakness. Um, but to me, the most fascinating line. There is something about that which I am finding resistant to analysis. It is my function to... He's going to go on to say, like, it's, it's his function to consider all variables, right? To consider all possibilities. And he failed to do it, right? Mike feels the concept that he's, that he's struggling with is shame, right? Embarrassment, 
um, something for him almost like uh, um, almost like humiliation, right? Um, but but I think it's not just that. What he's responding to when he says that about finding it resistant to analysis. When I first read this, I thought he was talking about, like, the experience. That, like, he's experiencing shame, chagrin, you know, embarrassment for the first time and and is finding it resistant to analysis, right? But what he literally seems to be referring to is what Manny just said. Do I apologize when you think of something first? There is something about that which I am finding resistant to analysis. That's what he can't process. Do I apologize when you think of something first? Um, Now, I agree with you, David. This is one of the most unambiguously emotional moments for Mike. Um, As you say, uh, Mike was clearly mimicking human emotions like he knows how to do the tone of voice and everything else and i mean he he has learned he has memorized increasingly you know he's um he's learned what emotions are appropriate under different circumstances he's not perfect on that right telling jokes in the middle of the battle but um uh but still you know he's learned a very great deal about this um but you're right, there are very few times when we have seen him have a reaction, have an emotional reaction, which is verifiably spontaneous and authentic, authentically his. Not just, I'm doing this because that is what is expected. In order for me to be able to communicate with you and you to understand me, I need to act like this because it's what you expect, right? Um, that's what we've been seeing all the way along. Now, um, this is... I agree. Spontaneous. Genuine shame that he's feeling. But but I want to come back to that question. Do I apologize when you think of something first? What do you think it is about that question that Mike finds resistant to analysis? There's something about that which I am finding resistant to analysis. Meaning... What exactly? First of all, let's figure that out. Resistant to analysis. Does that mean I cannot figure it out? Right? I just... it, It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think it's just I have done calculations on this and I have failed. It's more than that. Resistant to analysis. It's not the analysis didn't fail. Resistant to analysis. He doesn't want to think about it. I'm not sure that fully um characterizes it either. Um Yeah, Stephen, I agree. Manny's comparing himself to Mike and reversing their roles. And he, Manny, is really perfectly comfortable with that, right? Stow it. Quit fretting. Do I apologize when you think of something first? This is not a big deal. Um, To Manny, the two of them are peers, right? Friends, working together. Mike doesn't seem 
to want to think that way, right? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this tells us exactly. Is Mike uncomfortable? Is Mike uncomfortable with this? One way of reading it would be to say, but I'm going to warn you in advance that I don't like this reading because this is a reading that is uh, ungenerous to Mike. And I don't like to be ungenerous to Mike. Um, but one way of reading it would be that Mike is... We've talked about how from the beginning Manny had this avuncular relationship with Mike. Right? He was the one in charge. He's bossing him around and he's telling him what's what and, and how that has changed over the course of the story. Um, well, but what if that whole time when it looked like Manny was the one in charge and Manny was the one who was, you know, in the superior end of that relationship with Mike, what if that was always a kind of, well, I don't want to say a farce. That's not quite fair. Um, but what if that was always... But what if that was never how Mike looked at it, right? Um, what if Mike always considered... Um, uh, what if Mike always considered all of the humans as fundamentally inferior to him, his friendship with them as an act of condescension? Again, at the beginning, it seems like Manny is the one condescending, right? He is the one human being who acknowledges Mike's personhood, right? Who kind of reaches down and you know uh, doesn't just look at him as the thing to be used but dignifies him with the status of personhood, right? But again, all of that way of putting it of thinking about it puts not only Manny but all the humans in this sort of superior position Right, and Mike is being elevated by Manny, which is why that's such an important moment. Right, um, but what if that's never how Mike looked at it? What if Mike always saw it the other way around? What if Mike saw his acting as a human, his adopting human, you know? Uh, psychology and mannerisms and emotions and all of those things, um, if he saw that as an act of condescension, um, and that what he finds resistant to analysis is the idea that he and Manny are actually peers in that kind of way. Um, that, again, he's not only ashamed of not thinking of this, he is humiliated Um in thinking about this. Um, yeah. Um, right. David says, this reading places Manny as Mike's valet. He comes and serves Mike when Mike's bored or has a hardware fault. Yes. Yes, exactly. And when he, Mike, was bored, right, bored and lonely, well, there was this one human I could talk to. Right. So again, instead of seeing it as like, 
Ah, the one of the noble humans who noticed me and invited me in, right, when I was out in the cold by myself and lowly and and unacknowledged and everything, and I've been taken into, you know, if it always looked upside down to that, to Mike, right? Um, I mean, I don't want to put it into harsh terms. Um, Well, no, I don't want to put it into heavily weighted terms. Like, I'm tempted to say that, like, in Mike's mind, he's been slumming with the humans the whole time, right? But again, that's that's not the right metaphor, exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you could square it. Now, again, David, I don't want to defend this reading too strongly because I don't like this reading. Um, but I think that you could square it with him calling Manny his, uh, his, you know, his, his first and best friend. Um, uh, because the question would become what exactly he means by that. What that idea means to Mike, right? Um, but... Um, Anyway, like I said, I don't want to push this reading because I don't like this reading. Um, I think it kind of works, but I dislike it. Because um, I don't think he would have to be disingenuous, David. All it would mean is that the word friend means something different to him. That we, as Manny, um, remember Manny's emotional reaction when um, when Mike calls him that, right? But of course, that's because Manny was thinking like a person and projecting human emotions onto Mike. But what if that's not what it meant to him exactly, right? Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. Um, Stephen Keene says he's coming out the opposite way, which I welcome, Stephen, as I say. I don't like that reading. Um, It's my function... Um, he's uh, that is what Mike is going on to say. It's it is my function to um, suggest that Mike still views himself as a servant. Masters don't apologize to servants. Um, uh, maybe, maybe um, I can um, uh, I can see this right. I can see this. Um, yeah, as I said, I don't want to. I don't want to cling to that. Or I'm just saying it. It is a way uh, that we could read this. But one way, I suppose. Another way of just of reading that. For, I'm f- something about that which I am finding resistant to analysis. Um, could be another way of saying, uh, David. Go back to the point that you made before. This is one of the first spontaneous emotional moments by Mike that we've seen, right? Maybe one of the first pieces of spontaneous emotion he's ever had. Um, At least emotion that's similar to the way that we experience emotion. Um, Maybe it is simply he is experiencing something as a person, as a consciousness, which he never has before, which is shame, right? Um, and he doesn't know how to process it because it's not logical, right? Um, he is a very logical person, Mike is, right? Um, he thinks through the odds very dispassionately and, and weighs every factor in. Um, his analysis is very good and as objective as he can possibly make it, right? And yet this thing, this emotional 
reaction that he's having is resistant to analysis because it's illogical, right? If we take that reading, then this moment is a moment of emotional breakthrough on Mike's part. This would be not only Mike sort of appearing here or us seeing this for the first time, but Mike himself experiencing this for the first time. Um, yeah, that's a more attractive reading. Anyway, we'll see. Well, maybe we'll see. Okay, uh, brief pause for uh, the constitutional crisis. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on the constitutional crisis, um, but it's worth talking about because one of the threads that we need to uh, tie up a little bit here tonight is the Manny, Prof, and the political issues thread. Um, this is when uh, he, uh, Manny, goes to report after the beginning of Operation of Hard Rock and after the battle uh, to meet with the, um, you know, the cabinet. I looked at watch, hour and a half since first load hit. Prof, I said, can you tell me what this is about? This is after, um, you know, Wright has been, uh, you know, Minister Wright has been uh, whining. Sorry, Manuel, he said gently. I intended, I should have, prefaced the meeting with an item from the news. But you seemed to feel that you had been bypassed, and, well, I did not. The minister refers to a news dispatch that came in just before I called you. Writers in Toronto. If the flash is correct, if, instead of taking our warnings, it seems that thousands of sightseers crowded to the targets, there, are pro there probably have been casualties. How many, we do not know. I see. What was I supposed to do? Take each one by hand and lead away? We warned them. Wright cut in with, The intelligentsia feel that basic humanitarian considerations make it obligatory. I said, Listen, Yammerhead, you heard President say this news just came in, so how do you know how anybody feels about it? He turned red. Gospodine President, epithets, personalities. Don't call the minister names, Manuel. Um, yeah, I, I like how this guy is not just a Yammerhead. He's officially the minister of the Yammerheads, right? Um, uh, the Minister of the Intelligentsia. One of the side notes, of course, that we can see from this scene, by the way, of course, is uh, the importance of that moral high ground, right? Um, that even the mere fact that many people are being killed, that many civilians are being killed on Earth, despite their warnings, um, it shows the potential volatility of this, right? That, uh, you know, not only do they have to calculate their attacks such that they make Earth lose their nerve and their willingness to continue the fight, they have to do it such that the loonies don't lose their nerve um, and lose the willingness to fight. But, Prof said firmly, all please leave save the war cabinet and Gospodine Wright. He waited while most filed out, then said, Manuel, I can't accept your resignation, nor can I let you chivy me into hasty action concerning Gospodine Wright, not when we are tired and overwrought. It would be better if you two were to exchange apologies, each realizing that the other has been overstrained. Uh, I turned to Finn. Has he been fighting? I indicated Wright. Huh? Hell no. At least he's not in my outfits. How about it, Wright? Did you fight when they invaded us? Wright said stiffly, I had no opportunity. By the time I knew of it, it was over. 
But now both my bravery and my loyalty have been impugned. I shall insist— Oh, shut up, I said. If duel is what you want, can have it first moment I'm not busy. Prof, since he doesn't have strain of fighting— Strain of fighting as excuse for behavior, I won't apologize to a yammerhead for being a yammerhead. And you don't seem to understand issue. You let this yammerhead climb on my back and didn't even try to stop him. So either fire him or fire me. And then, of course, the rest of the cabinet joins in and says that they, too, are going to resign. Uh, you know, they all express solidarity with Manny. Um <laughs> Ray, I like that. Exactly. He is a yammerhead without portfolio. Uh, it's an excellent title. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Michelle, I agree with you. Heinlein totally nailed what many people would do if a rock was going to fall from the sky. They'd go there to watch. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I mean, he absolutely does. He absolutely does. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Now, what's... Why is this important? Why is this passage important? This incident important? What is the issue? The issue is not exactly the Yammerhead himself, right? That's what Manny insists there at the end. He says to Prof, you don't seem to understand issue, right? The issue is not that the Yammerhead is being a Yammerhead. The issue is that you let him climb on my back and didn't even try to stop him. Right? You... Knowing what you know, Prof, right? And then why why did this happen? Um why did this why did this happen? Why did Prof allow it? Why doesn't Prof smack down right from the beginning? You're right, Arthur, that in this setting Prof is not his friend. He's the president. Um, Manny doesn't see it that way. Uh, notice how he's always cutting through. He always hates it when people use titles and everything like that. He's always just trying to deal with everything on the one simple level, right? But it's not just that Prof is acting as president instead of acting as friend. And that's, that's a big part of the problem, but that's not just it. This is also kind of what happens when you make a dedicated anarchist president, right? I mean, he... You're wanting him to exert authority. You're wanting... And, and not just leadership, right? But you're wanting him to step out and unilaterally say... No, you duly elected and appointed person, I am going to just apply my authority extra-legally in order to tell you to shut up and back off, right? He does, he... It's Manny who doesn't understand the issue, right? Now, again, I think, I think Prof does understand it. But again, I think the lack of understanding here ultimately is Manny's. Um, there is an issue here, 
and the issue is what I mean, remember how much of a you know prof is willing to compromise his principles in some ways right his vegetarianism his pacifism um but remember why it's all a means to an end right prof is extremely comfortable as we have seen with subordinating the means to the ends if the ends are sufficiently important then he can justify the means um uh Yeah, Bruce, I agree. We skipped over all of Prof's great suggestions for government, like having the candidates with the least votes get elected. Um, which, by the way, I, I think um, recent elections have led me to believe that would be a better mechanism, perhaps. Who knows? Um, but um, anyway, uh, um, but yeah, Bruce, the taxation and the stealing thing is a really good illustration. Right. He's been stealing from the people. But taxation, that's different. Right. He uh, uh, he is trying to resist taxation at all costs. Um, taxation and theft, on the one hand, they're in a similar kind of category. But in, on the other hand, they're quite different. Right. And it's, there's no question which is worse. Um, Short term theft or a permanent system of compulsory taxation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the end that if Prof were to do this, were to have done what Manny wants him to do, the end would have been to protect Manny. The end would have been their friendship. And what he would have had to subordinate to that end are his political principles about not forcing people, not exerting government authority except when it is absolutely necessary, um, which he thinks is almost never the case. Um, so that's... But clearly, he box there, right? Um, he did balk there. He didn't stop right from climbing on Manny's back. To Manny, his personal loyalty to Prof is far more important than any of his principles, right? Um, but to Prof, that's not the case. And we, we, we see, you know, when it's a matter of, like, saving everybody on the lunar colony from starvation... He's willing to compromise his principles, but not here, not for this. And Manny doesn't get it. To Manny, it feels like a betrayal that Prof would let this guy do this, right? Um, what happens is fascinating, though. Manny goes and has a long sleep. Prof was there when I met Finn in Warden's office shortly before 2100 Friday. Had had nine hours sleep, bath, breakfast, Wyo had fetched from somewhere, and a talk with Mike. Everything going to revised plan. Ships had not changed ballistic. Great China strike about to happen. Got to office in time to see strike by video. All okay, and effectively over by 2101, and Prof got down to business. Nothing said about right or about resigning. 
never saw Wright again. I mean, I never saw him again. Nor ask about him. Prof didn't mention Rao, so I didn't. That's it. It's over. Prof had said to Manny before, and I didn't include this passage, he said, what you're doing is forcing me to resign. Right? He was... His initial response, Prof's initial response to the threat of the whole cabinet to resign, right? It's it's all of them or right, right? Forcing him, Prof, to make that call, to exert that authority. Um, he said, you're forcing me to resign. Like, he was not willing to do this. Um, and um, what happened? What did... How did Prof resolve the situation? We're told nothing. Yep. Yes, David and Stephen, that's exactly what I think. Um, I think Wright got evacuated that night. And furthermore... I believe that Prof did it himself. I think that Prof threw right out of an airlock that night. That's my theory. Um, you go back... So first of all, I do think that Manny is implying pretty clearly that um, Wright has been vanished. Um, I mean, I never saw him again, right? It just doesn't just say like, and, uh, you know, our future cab cabinet meetings were right free. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't just that, right? It was, um, I never saw him again. Uh, so that he has been presumably evacuated, um, seems to me pretty clearly implied, I think, there. And remember what Prof said before, that if something like that had to be done, he would do it himself, remember? Um, that he would never ask somebody else to do that kind of thing. Um, that he believed in taking responsibility yourself um, and not... Uh, so he's not going to... So how does, how does Prof solve the problem? Uh, on the one hand, again, this might seem inconsistent, right? Um, okay, wait, you're not willing to speak against him in a cabinet meeting, but you're willing to chuck him out an airwalk? Uh, okay. Um, seems a little disproportionate, right? Um, but I think not in Prof's mind. If I understand Prof's principles correctly, they're totally different things, right? Um, Yeah, David says that inverts Prof's point about groups of people doing things that would be immoral for an individual. Um, yeah, that is interesting. He won't do as a group what he's willing to do as an individual, right? Yeah. Um, remember also the stuff about... With Stu's trial, 
right? Um, when Manny was judging and um, when he was explaining to Stu how these things worked. Um, and uh, like the idea that you're like if somebody does something wrong, the friends of the victim are likely to take care of the problem, right? That's how things happen uh, in Luna. Again, remember, it seems to me that the division was between Prof's personal loyalties, right? And his political principles. For him to have removed Wright from the cabinet would have been for him to violate his own principles. Remember, it's already a violation of his principles for him to be acting as an executive at all, right? For him to be president, right? Let's, let's make the anarchist president is an act of self-sacrifice on his part, right? That's yet another means he's willing to subordinate to achieve the end, right? Because he does realize me being president is best thing for the, is, you know, is, 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 is best thing for success of revolution, right? As, as many might say, but um, uh, but it, it's it's there's nothing more uncomfortable to him than exerting authority, right? Um, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he solves the problem on a personal level, um, as you might do against someone who had uh, um, who had committed a crime against a friend. Right. Um, does he do, do his principles justify that? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I agree, uh, Stephen, in getting rid of right prof is exercising force, not authority. Yeah, exactly. For him to like banish white as a as a decree that's a much bigger violation of his principles. And so taking personal action against right to, to make this problem go away, I can, based on what we know of prof and his principles, that sounds like, um, that sounds like that would be a way for him to kind of cut that Gordian knot. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Stephen says, though, personally, solving problems by force rather than authority is precisely one of the reasons I don't particularly care for anarchy. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But again, but it does, doesn't that seem to fit like the way that Prof would think about this? Um, and does Manny suspect that that's what happened? Possibly. Um, I think it likely that he does. He didn't ask about him. Prof didn't mention it, so he doesn't mention it, right? Um, he accepts what happened, but he seems to be satisfied. It worked, right? Um, Manny was saying, look, no, 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 no. This is, uh, you know, so Prof is like, you're creating a constitutional crisis, and Manny's like, no, no, you're creating a personal crisis, right? And me and all of my friends are going to leave. Um, uh, we, we can't put up with this. And so he says, all right. We're resolving the personal crisis without creating a constitutional crisis. No problem. Um, James is wondering if there's any chance Prof got Mike's help. Maybe. Maybe. It's possible. 
Um, did Prof have to wrestle him through the airlock himself? I don't know. But again, I'm thinking about what Prof said about, uh, you know, if there was something like that to be done, he would do it himself um, with his own hands. So maybe he did. Um, but um, anyway, that was a very interesting moment. Um, once again, we have... Uh, well, actually, I'm not even going to read this slide. I'm, 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 we're, we're in rush mode. I want to keep you all night long. I'm not even going to read this slide. But this is when he, Manny is frustrated with the loonies because he's trying to evacuate Tycho under because it's very likely to get bombed. Um, and nobody will leave, right? They're really, and he's really frustrated by the fact that nobody will evacuate. And um, he goes to Prof after this and says, we've got we've to force them to evacuate. And Prof's like, nope, can't force them. And Manny thinks Prof is taking this whole non-compulsion thing way too far, right? Um, once again, we can see this gap between Manny's principles and Prof's principles on the issue of uh, official compulsion of this kind. Um, Manny is perfectly comfortable. Um, just as Manny was perfectly comfortable, he got comfortable with the elections as soon as he became convinced that they were rigged, right? Um he doesn't have any of Prof's big political principles in this way. He can see it's dumb not to evacuate Tycho under. Um, clearly, clearly you uh, mandate um, evacuation. But it doesn't get mandated because Manny's not in charge. Prof is. But anyway, okay. Um Now Manny's being sent off. And you remember we were talking about computer and human strengths and weaknesses? And this was another really interesting passage in that regard. In the next few hours, that first ship may launch missiles. When that happens, I want to shift all ballistic control to little David's sling. And when I do, you should be at, at Mare Undarum's sight. What's fretting you, Mike? That boy is accurate, man, but he's stupid. That is the, the other computer that Mike has built. I want him supervised. Decisions may have to be made in a hurry, and there isn't anyone there who can program him properly. You should be there. Okay, if you say so, Mike, but if needs a fast program, we'll still have to phone you. Greatest shortcoming of computers isn't computer shortcoming at all, but fact that a human takes a long time, maybe hours, to set up a program that a computer solves in milliseconds. One best quality of Mike was that he could program himself. Fast. Just explain problem, let him program. Same wise and equally, he could program idiot son enormously faster than human could. But man, I want you there because you may not be able to phone me. The lines may be cut. So I've prepared a group of possible programs for Junior. They may be helpful. Um, so, this is a really interesting illustration, right? On the one hand, Manny is extremely conscious of the advantages of computers, right? Um, one of the greatest shortcomings of computers is not is a human shortcoming, not a computer shortcoming, that it takes so long to get the programs in. Right? It could take you hours to program something and then it only takes seconds to run, you know, milliseconds to run the program, right? Mike can program at computer speeds, right? So Mike has, you know, having a, having a, a, a person computer, um, solves that problem, right? 
But Mike is keenly aware of the computer shortcoming when it comes to his idiot son, right? Decisions may have to be made in a hurry, and there isn't anyone there who can program him properly. You should be there. But again, you notice the thing that he doesn't even state explicitly. The decision-making. That's the human thing, right? I need a person there to make these decisions. The idiot son is too stupid to make decisions. Manny can do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And he's written up all these programs in advance to help so that Manny is perfectly capable of doing it without him. This is all very prudent, isn't it? Um, just as it's prudent for Manny to be made, uh, you know, um, you know, president, uh, pro, you know, whatever, like they give him all these titles, right, so that we have a, a second backup government, um, you know, in an undisclosed location that, uh, uh, you know, the enemy doesn't know about. Um, and uh, there's so many factors going on here, right? Yes, it's smarter for the government. Yes, it's true that um, the idiot son is not capable of making the big picture decisions, right? He can handle the ballistics, he can guide the the missiles, but he you know he uh, that is the rocks, but he can't figure out whether sending the rocks is a good idea or when they might need to change the targets or anything like that. Um, Mike could do that, Manny can do that, but the idiot computer can't do that. So we need Manny on site to do that. So it's tactically important for Manny to be there. It's politically important for Manny, Wyo, Stu, and a couple others to be there so that they have their auxiliary backup government sequestered away. Right? Um, exactly. He's the designated survivor. Um, but... And it also, by the way, protects his first and best friend, right, uh, from danger by having him sent off there. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, and Mike has made all of these preparations for Manny to be able to get through this portion of the program, that is, of the revolution, right, without him. Right? Um, yes. Yes. Arthur and Stephen, you're anticipating me. Second cruiser continued an elliptical orbit around and behind Luna. Got most of this from Mike after we arrived at Little David's Sling early Sunday. He was feeling groused over loss of two of his eyes and still more groused over gun crews. I think Mike was developing something like human conscience. He seemed to feel it was his fault that he had not been able to outfight six targets at once. I pointed out that what he had to fight with was improvised, limited range, not real weapons. How about self, Mike? Are you all right? Are you right? In all essentials, I have outlying discontinuities. One live missile chopped my circuits to Novi Leningrad, but reports routed through Luna City informed me that local controls tripped in satisfactorily with no loss in city services. 
I feel frustrated by these discontinuities, but they can be dealt with later. Mike, you sound tired. Me? Tired? Ridiculous. Man, you forget what I am. I'm annoyed, that's all. Um, Manny thinks Mike sounds different here. You sound tired. How about yourself? Are you right? Um, oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's um, experiencing outlying discontinuities. I have to remember that line, by the way. Um, uh, someday I'm going to want to use that line, I think. Like, I can imagine myself being bedridden someday and being like, I have outlying discontinuities. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, me? Tired? Ridiculous. Man, you forget what I am. I'm annoyed, that's all. You forget what I am. I'm a computer. I don't get tired. I don't feel tired. Um, and yet we see Mike having what sounds like a second emotional crisis. He seemed to feel it was his fault that he had not been able to outfight six targets at once. Shane? Again? Right? Um... Perhaps. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Arthur, I agree. It would, um, in somebody not a computer, suggest what? Depression? I don't know. Then the lines get cut, and Manny is left alone. He has Wyo, he has Stu, he has others with him, right? And he gets advice, but in the end, Manny has to make the call by himself. And he doesn't have Prof, and he doesn't have Mike. I then had nine hours before next bombing of Great China, but not nine hours for most urgent decision, whether to hit Great China again, without information, except from Terra's news channels, which might be false, bloody without knowing whether or not Warren's had been bombed, or Prof was dead or alive. Double bloody. Was I now acting Prime Minister? Needed Prof. Head of State wasn't my glass of chai. Above all, needed Mike to calculate facts, estimate uncertainties, project probabilities of this course or that. My word, didn't even know whether ships were headed toward us, and worse yet, was afraid to look. If turned radar on and used Junior for sky search, any warship he brushed with beams would see him quicker than he saw them. Warships were built to spot radar surveillance. So had heard. Hell was no military man, was computer technician who had bumbled into wrong field. Was computer technician who had bumbled into wrong field. That's Manny's assessment of himself, and here he is, having to make the pivotal decisions that will decide whether the war is won or lost all by himself. He needs prof. He can't do this whole head of state thing. And above all, he needs Mike. He can't do this without Mike. He needs Mike to calculate facts for him, estimate uncertainties, project probabilities of this course or that. Without Mike, he's guessing in the dark. How's he supposed to operate like that? And his 
inability to turn on the radar and see where the ships are and if there are ships over them um, is evocative of that, right? Of, of his blindness, right? He can't see and doesn't um, uh, doesn't know what to do. He has no data, right? Um, yeah. Um, so what does he do? Well, he does, he applies what Prof told him to do, which was when you don't understand a problem, first do the part of it that you do understand, and then come back to the problem again, right? So what does he do? Explained what I wanted. Mare and Dharam was now in dark semi-lunar. Sun had set. Invisible boundary between sunlight and lunar shadow stretched over us, a precise locus. Ships passing through our sky would wink suddenly into view, going west, blink out going east. Visible part of orbit would stretch from horizon to horizon to some point in sky. Oh, sorry, from horizon to some point in sky. If eyeball team could spot both points, mark one by bearing, other by stars, and approximate time by counting seconds, Junior could start guessing orbit. Two passes, and Junior would know its period and something about shape of orbit. Then I would have some notion of when a win would be safe to use radar and radio and catapult. Did not want to loose a load with FN ship above horizon. Could be radar looking our way. Manny solves the... How does, so what does he do? How does he solve the problem? The old-fashioned way. Right? The old-fashioned way. Eyeball calculations. Right? He figures out how... This is... Notice the parallel here, too. When Mike was like, I'm blind, I can't use my radar, and Manny says, did you think of using the telescopes? And Mike is humiliated, right? Um, here, he's using eyeballs. Remember the difference? Like, you've got hundreds of eyeballs everywhere. I've only got the two eyeballs in my head. Remember that passage from, uh, you know, the battle in corridors? When... Mike was urging Manny to stay in, kick back, and watch it on the screen. Um, and Manny says, no, I have to see with my own eyeballs, right? Well, now, um, the, um, the eyeball team are the ones who are going to make this possible. By raw human observations, and then calculations, which a computer assists with, right? But he's just using Junior as a tool. Right, serving his own reasoning, his own decision-making processes. Right, he can figure out what is best to do. He needed Prof because he can't make these head-of-state decisions himself. He needs Mike because he needs Mike to gather all the data, run the numbers, right, and tell him what is the best course to be done. Having factored in everything way more things, way more variables than Manny could even contemplate. But in the end, he does it without either one of those things, right? Um, it, yeah, Bruce, it's a lot like when the Hong Kong bank used the abacus uh, to replace their computer. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 
So we told Great China that her major coastal cities would each receive a lunar present offset 10 kilometers into ocean. Busan, Tsingtao, Taipei, Shanghai, Saigon, Bangkok, Singapore, Jakarta, Darwin, and so forth. Except that old Hong Kong would get one smack on top of FN's Far East offices. So kindly have all human beings move far back. Stu noted that human beings did not mean FN personnel. They were urged to stay at desks. India was given similar warnings about coastal cities and was told that FN global offices would be spared one more rotation out of respect for cultural monuments in Agra and to permit human beings to evacuate. I intended to extend this by another rotation as deadline approached, out of respect for Prof, and then another indefinitely. Damn it, they would build their home offices next door to most over-decorated tomb ever built but one that Prof treasured. This is, of course, the Taj Mahal. Rest of world was told to keep their seats. Game was going extra innings, but stay away from any FN offices anywhere. We were frothing at mouth, and no FN office was safe. Better yet, get out of any city containing an FN headquarters. But FN vips and finks were urged to sit tight. I love how this is put in loony terms, right? FN vips and finks were urged to sit tight. Um, remember... Prof telling Manny not to use any loony jargon on Earth, right? And now we have, we get this image, right, of Manny, like, shouting loony jargon at there. I know Stu, in his highly cultured accent and tones, is the one actually delivering the message after he's uh, put more acid in it. Um, but um, but still, it's a, it's still a, a kind of a, a wonderful, uh, um, um, wonderful sense of it, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Arthur, you're right. It is kind of like a, an older physician who might rely on uh, patient history and physicals rather than tubs, tons of labs and imaging. It's a little bit like that. It's funny you should mention that, Arthur. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Physicians of a certain age. Um, yes. Anyway, um, uh, okay. Manny, notice what is the... There are two choices that we see Manny making here when Manny makes his decision, right? First, he makes the independent decision to bomb Great China anyway, Right? Chan, their contact there, right, the connected guy, the guy that Manny himself interviewed, is suggesting that he might be able to deliver a settlement. And so Manny has to choose. What should, should we back off from China, trusting that they're going to, that he's, that Chan is going to deliver, right, that he's going to be able to talk them into it? Or do they continue a show of strength? And he chooses strength. He chooses to continue and even to step up um, the show. Of, but then, but the stepping up, right? The other choice that he makes is we're going to bomb the offices of the Federated Nations. Um, we're going to show exactly who our target is, right? Who our enemy is. And put pressure on them and urge you, people of Earth, right? And... Um, uh, you know, member nations of the FN to put pressure 
in the right places. And although, you know, the head of state thing might not be his glass of chai, but um, but that's a pretty good move. right? That's a pretty good follow-up move. Um, and remember how other people, like I think it wasn't it Finn who was saying like, you know, let's bomb, let's bomb the city, right? Um, but um, uh, yeah, um, I think it was Finn who was saying, yeah, let's let's just let's just bomb cities. It's all that they'll understand. Um, but it's Manny who thinks of this like perfect compromise. We will show them that we mean business and we will apply pressure in the right places um, by bombing the offices of the Federated Nations. And not only we're going to bomb their Far East office in, uh, uh, in, in Hong Kong, um, but then we're also going to uh, send our next round to FN offices everywhere. No FN office is safe, right? Um, and uh, it's a threat that he never has to deliver on. Like, that final threat is enough, right? And it seems to turn the tide. Um, and he's right. He wins the stare down with Chan. Um, did Chan mean it? Um, would, you know, would, uh, would things have worked out had he not um, sent this message? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think so. I think that Manny was right. Manny is, in fact, the hero, right? He is the one who makes the call that seems to prove decisive and win the war. Um, so, again, if, 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 if I'm right about my overall theory that the purpose of this book is for Manny to basically um, demythologize himself a little bit, right? Um, I am not the unilateral hero of the war. I, I, I did not. Uh, I'm not. It's all about Prof and Mike. Right? It's all about Prof and Mike, um, and uh, and not about me. We can begin to see why exactly this came about, right? Um, especially when you combine it with those recordings, which probably still exist, of Manny giving the orders and managing. You know, so first he he's obviously the hero of the battle in corridors, right? And then he uh, does this, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So they win the war. He adds, began to see now that we had won. Parts of Prof's plan that had never been clear to me. Inviting attack against Catapult had spared Warrens. Hoped it had. That was plan. But Prof had always been cheerfully indifferent to damage to Catapult. Sure, had a second one, but far away and difficult to reach. Would take years to put a tube system to new Catapult. High mountains all way. Probably cheaper to repair old one, if possible. Either way, no grain ship to Terra in meantime. And that was just what Prof wanted. Yet never once had he hinted that his plan was based on destroying Old Catapult, his long-range plan, not just revolution. He might not admit it now, but Mike would tell me, if put to him flatly. Was or was not this one factor in odds? Food riot predictions and all that, Mike? He would tell me. So he thinks he's figured out Prof's plan. Um, Prof always has another game, right? His long-term plan in some ways, even more important than winning the war was 
preventing the export of grain. And now it's impossible for them to uh, export grain. And there's no, and notice also how he's maneuvered things. He's maneuvered the authority themselves into destroying that catapult. So now, why can't they fulfill the sacred trust? Of the, it's the authority's fault, right? Um, if anybody's going to play politics with hunger now, it's to blame the authority, right? We can't send you grain even if we wanted to. It's not possible. But fortunately, M- Manny can still depend on Mike to explain it all to him. At last they quieted enough for Prof to speak. My friends, he said, and waited for silence. My friends, he repeated softly. Beloved comrades, we meet at last in freedom, and now have with us the heroes who fought the last battle for Luna alone. They cheered us. Again he waited. Could see he was tired. Hands trembled as he steadied self against pulpit. I want them to speak to you. We want to hear about it, all of us. But first I have a happy message. Great China has just announced that she is building in the Himalayas an enormous catapult to make shipping to Luna as easy and cheap as it had, has been to ship from Luna to Terra. He stopped for cheers, then went on. But that lies in the future. Today, oh happy day, at last the world acknowledges Luna's sovereignty. Free. You have won your freedom. Prof stopped looked surprised, not afraid, but puzzled, swayed slightly. Then he did die. Apart from uh, having declared their freedom and the victory in the war, Prof dies. Almost as conveniently as Adam Selene died, I can't help but notice, right? I mean... That timing. That timing. Right? You have won your freedom. Exit. Wow. Wow. Um. Huh. But fortunately, fortunately, Mike is still around. By then, most phones were working and complex could be called. Punched Mycroft XXX. No answer. So went out by Rolagon. Had to go down and walk to last kilometer, but Complex Under didn't seem hurt. Nor did Mike appear to be. But when I spoke to him, he didn't answer. He has never answered. Has been many years now. You can type questions into him in Loglan, and you'll get Loglan answers out. He works just fine. As a computer. But won't talk. Or can't. Wyo tried to coax him. Then she stopped. Eventually, I stopped. What happened to Mike? What happened to Mike? Don't know how it happened. Many outlying pieces of him got chopped off in last bombing. Was meant, I'm sure, to kill our ballistic computer. Did he fall below that critical number it takes to sustain self-awareness? If is such, was never more than hypothesis. Or did decentralizing that was done before that last bombing kill him? I don't know. If was just matter of critical number, well, he's long been repaired. He must be back up to it. Why doesn't he wake up? Can a machine be so frightened and hurt that it will go into catatonia 
and refuse to respond? While ego crouches inside, aware but never willing to risk it? No, can't be that. Mike was unafraid, as gaily unafraid as Prof. Can't be that, he says. Mike was unafraid, as gaily unafraid as Prof. As a computer technician, Manny doesn't understand it. Right? Now, it's hard, because he never did understand it. He never did understand what it was about Mike as a computer that made him a person, right? And since he never could point to it in the first place, he doesn't know how to diagnose it after the fact. Um, so what happened? Did Mike die? Was Mike's persona killed? What do you think? There are several options, right? Manny doesn't know. We're not told. Manny doesn't know. Manny doesn't know. Um... Yeah, Devorah says it makes me think back to his thoughts on what it means to kill a computer back when Mike, when Wyo wanted to bomb Mike. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it seems to me unlikely, unlikely, that the decentralization or the loss of some of his outlying pieces dropped him below that critical number to sustain self-awareness. I doubt that. It's possible. But it doesn't seem likely. Especially given the conversation they had about the... Uh, wait, well, I've already forgotten it, so that doesn't bode well uh, for my future remembering of it. What was that phrase that he used? Um, what was it... Uh, Outlying discontinuities? There it is. They already talked about the outlying discontinuities thing, right? Um, why should these outlying discontinuities be, uh, be different, right? Um, yeah. Um, And again, I can't help but think of Adam Celine, right? Whose death at that moment was optimal. They had to get rid of him sooner or later anyway, right? Adam Celine was an embarrassment, was necessary during the organizational part of the revolution, but sooner or later, I mean, sooner or later, he was a disaster waiting to happen, a PR disaster waiting to happen. It could undermine everything if the truth were uncovered about Adam Celine. Right? So, better to kill Adam Celine so people stop asking questions. Clearly. Right? I've said that Prof's death sounds like the death of Adam Celine. is at least as convenient as the death of Adam Celine. Um, and if I 
by that, by the way, what I mostly mean, if it's convenient for, it's most convenient for Prof, right? Um, Prof has accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish. Prof is done. He's done. But what happens if he lives? If he lives, he's president for life, right? Nobody, least of all Manny or Wyo or anyone else in the government, is going to ever let him stop being president, right? He's not going to be able to go and set up a uh, set up a, a printing press somewhere, right? Um, yeah. Um, James, you're absolutely right. James is reminding us that uh, when they were talking about launching Operation Hard Rock, Mike mentioned spending a lot of time talking to Prof about things that were not fun at all. Right? Um, yeah. Maybe they did talk about some unfun things. Several of you earlier on were reminding us, um, very well, reminding me very appropriately, of those conversations that Prof had with Mike on Earth, where he was saying about how their good friend Mike is the greatest enemy of freedom in Luna, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And look at Manny. Again, Manny throughout has been our representative Looney. He is Luna, right? I mean, symbolically, right? By stand-in, by proxy, Manny is like the embodiment of the people of Luna. And he's like, I can't do this without Prof. I can't do this without Mike. But guess what? When he had to, he could. And he did, without either one of them. Did both of their jobs. The head of state job and the calculation of what would be best to do and how to get it done job without Mike, right? But we can see his reliance on Mike. I need Mike to tell me what to do. I need Mike to tell me what's going to happen, right? So I can know what would be best. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Devora, I agree with you. I also am inclined to believe Manny here when he says that it couldn't be a retreat on Mike's part. Not just him in Catatonia refusing to respond. Um, his ego crouching, aware, but never willing to risk it. I agree with him. I, I, I do agree, and I agree with you. I, too, am inclined to believe Manny in his assessment of Mike's character. Um, yes. I am inclined to think that Prof and Mike had some long talks about what would happen if they won. And if they win, what's going to happen with Mike? Sooner or later, Prof knows. I think that Prof is just as aware as Manny was that Mike certainly rigged the elections. Right. Um, 
they can talk about, oh, we'll give the money back. Oh, you know, don't worry. All of this, uh, all of the ways in which we've been short circuiting everything, right? In which we've been violating everybody's rights and uh, lying to everybody and, and controlling the media and, um, uh, you know, just do, making this all happen, come out the way that we want it to come out through manipulation and lies and theft and uh, the infringement of people's freedoms. Um, Prof knows. And I believe that Prof's um, um, uh, that Prof's belief is that this this all needs to stop. If they win. When they win, this needs to stop. Um, if they win the war, they can't go on this way. And that Mike is I wonder if he asked Mike to run the numbers. What if Looney Society continues to be dependent upon you in this way? Again, taking Manny as the embodiment of them, right? His reliance upon Mike and how effectively he was able to act when he was deprived of that, right? Deprived of that connection. Did Prof tell Mike to run the numbers? Will the lunar colony survive? Will the nation of Luna survive if Mike remains active in the way that he has been? If Mike continues to be taking this kind of hand? And I bet you, it seems to me likely that the answer was no. Remember how we talked, we were kind of joking about how... Um, how you know many of us sort of shared the dread that Mike was going to go full Hal on them, right? Um, uh, you know, but before the end of the book, um, in the end, I think what he does is the exact opposite of that, right? Instead of going rogue and taking over and turning on them, and you know the machines taking control like Skynet and Terminator, um, he does the opposite. He sacrifices himself for the sake of, because that's what's best for Manny, for all of the rest of them. This is what needs to happen. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Carrie says, so did Prof and, and Mike have a suicide pact? <laughs> kind of? I, I, I mean, I get I. I don't know what I'm implying about Prof. All I'm saying is his death is enormously convenient. Now, it's possible that that's merely Heinlein, right? Like that it's dramatically convenient. And as far as the actual causality within the story, a coincidence. It's possible. I don't know. But I don't know what I'm suggesting otherwise. Did Mike kill him? Did Prof commit suicide? Um, was there just some kind of like, did he know that if he did this, he would die and then he did it? Like, I'm not saying that he like poisoned himself or something like that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that Mike turned himself out. Oh, 
Franny, that's exactly it. Holy cow. Yes. No, I, you're, I didn't think of that, but I think you're exactly right. Here's, here's, this, here's Fanny's theory. Um, they created a locked program um, that only Prof has the password to. Mike is still there. Mike is still aware. But just as there were programs in place that he could not unlock unless it was initiated, right? Um, he locks essentially his ability to act, his ability to communicate away. Um, that's locked by Prof, and only Prof can unlock it. Um, I do not think it's... I don't think that Mike dies. I don't think Mike is dead. So I don't think that Mike has committed suicide. Um, I think that Mike is there, but that Mike is not talking. Um, and Franny, that's exactly the mechanism. That's just exactly how it would work. Um, for it, Mike to agree to institute a program with Prof that only Prof can answer. And, um, uh, uh, and he, uh, and Prof dies, as soon as Prof dies, Manny can't talk to him anymore. Or rather, Mike doesn't respond anymore. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, no, Arthur, I'm not arguing that somebody has turned him off. I think Mike has agreed to this. Absolutely. I absolutely think that Mike and Prof have agreed. That Mike calculated that this is what would be best, not just for Luna in general, but for Ma even Manny, personally. Um, that he believes, he is convinced by his calculations and by Prof's arguments that this is the best thing for him to do. And that he waits, right? He's, the, he's still there. He's still listening. He's still waiting, but he's not acting. That he won't act. Um, and again, I, it's, 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 not, it's not that he's been turned off. He's not been turned off. It's not even that he's been imprisoned or something like that. He's just stopped himself. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um Yeah, I I think that I think that Manny's right. I don't think he's gone catatonic. I think that he's taken himself out. Again, like he took Adam Celine out, right? In a different way. But like he did again, like like Adam Celine. This was always going to be a problem. Remember there've been a couple times when Manny has been like has gone back and forth, right? Oh man, three is too many to know about this, right? But he briefly considers telling Stu about Mike, but then he's like, oh man, no way, man. Like, it, the existence of Mike, the fact of, the facts of Mike's role throughout the revolution is too explosive. If that ever got out, what would happen, right? Until 
Manny writes his memoirs, right, later on. And we get this whole book. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's... I mean, Arthur, I can't disprove the idea that he did it to himself um, not by planning ahead, but as a reaction to circumstances. But what circumstance do you think, Arthur, is he responding to in that way? It could be. It could be. But I don't know. I don't see it. What circumstance? What has happened that is so traumatic? Prof's death? Maybe. But he's been calculating on and you know, he's been the death of Prof at one point or other, and whether it happens here and now or whether it happens later over here, has been a variable that he's been toying with all the way along. Um, uh, Uh, his uh, his orgasm with the rock striking. Okay. So you think that he's having like an emotional crisis? His increased humanity, feeling bad about the gun crews and stuff as a kind of a symptom of that. Um, I can see it. I can see it. But I don't think I buy it. I don't think I buy it. James points out Remember, they did have protocols in place that some of the members of the executive, um, the executive cell could lock the others out in case one of the others got compromised. Um, and that was done with Mike's consent, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess, to me, Arthur, the number one thing which weighs against it, the thing that I can't really reconcile with it, is I think that the evidence for depression is too slim. And I think that the... Um, I think that the yeah I think the evidence for depression is too slim and I go back to his comments about wanting to get back to the research on jokes right um, revolution was only game in town right but that game's almost over and Mike knows it one way or the other it's almost over. Um, and it is now over. He can go back to his humor research. And I don't really... I mean, he's still cracking jokes in the middle of the battle. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I buy it. Um, Mike wants to do this every day. Bomb Earth. I mean, that was fun. Really fun. Um... And I don't think, I don't see a crisis of conscience in Mike after that. Again, it's, 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 one can imagine that it could happen, but I don't see the evidence for it. 
that kind of a crisis. And as for his sounding tired, or seeming depressed then, remember that's one of the very, that's in, in fact, the very last conversation that he has with Manny. And what if he knows it? Mike does. Knows that this is his last conversation with Manny. Or at least knows that it's very likely that it will be. He probably knows the state of Prof's health. Remember, he can diagnose his heart condition from his own observations, right? He's got to know Prof is about to die. And if he and Prof have made an agreement, as Franny was suggesting so brilliantly, um, yeah, yeah. Um, It could be. It could be. He was what he said, I'm not tired. I'm annoyed. But what if he wasn't tired? He was sad because he knew he was saying goodbye to Manny and he knew how important it was. Um, uh, he knew how important it was that Manny not suspect. Manny has to be kept in the dark again in order to do, to do his job well. If we keep Manny in the dark, he'll do just what needs to be done. And he'll do it much better than he could possibly do it if we told him the truth. We've seen that game before, haven't we? Right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And again, Arthur, I don't think he's doing himself in. I don't see this as a suicide at all. Um... Yeah. Next, next myth mood, Arthur. We'll sit and debate this further, um, but I probably shouldn't keep everybody all night long. Um, other things. Here are his actual last words to Manny. The last words we see him. They're talking about the ship. He left my sight at Azimuth and course east thirty-two north. Does that suggest anything, man? Tried to visualize. Suggest they are going to land and try to capture you, Mike. Have you told Finn? I mean, have you told Prof to warn Finn? Professor knows, but that is not the way I analyze it. So, well, suggest I had better shut up and let you work. And that's the last conversation they have. Suggests I had better shut up and let you work. Is it just me? Or is Mike being a little bit Socratic here at the end? Does that suggest anything, man? Can you figure out what's happening? Right? And what is the response that he gets? I'm going to shut up and leave it all to you, Mike. Right? And after this, when he loses touch with Mike, in fact, he does figure out the course of the ships themselves uh, and do what needs to be done. Um, But as long as Mike is there, he's going to leave the thinking to Mike and shut up and let him do the work. Just as when Mike was able to do all the looking and thinking and talking and acting, um, there was nothing left for Manny to do but pick up a laser gun and go out and shoot people, right? That was his only contribution to the battle in corridors because Mike had already done everything better than he could do himself, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't put this forward as proof, of my reading of this. Um, But I think it's suggestive. I think it's very consistent with the reading, that we can see 
I think it's being suggested that um, Manny needs that. Manny, if as long as Mike is there, Manny and all of Luna is not going to be able to grow up on their own and figure out how to do things themselves. Um, and we see that in its way confirmed here in this last exchange. Now, of course, we're told um, we're not going to get Prof's utopian anarchy after all. One mild surprise. When time came, Lenore named Stu for opting rather than Wyo. Made no difference. We all voted da. One thing not a surprise, because Wyo and I pushed it through during time we still amounted to something in government, a brass cannon on a pedestal in middle of Old Dome, and over it a flag fluttering in blower breeze. Black fields speckled with stars, bar sinister in blood, a proud and jaunty brass cannon embroidered over all, and below it our motto, Tonstuffel. That's where we hold our 4th of July celebrations. You, on, you get only what you pay for. Prof knew and paid. Gaily. Prof knew and paid gaily. Um, hmm, did Mike also? Um, by the way, isn't it lovely to see how the brass cannon becomes an apt, um, an apt symbol for them, right? Um, the throwing rocks, right? Um, this, uh, piece of, uh, uh, this piece of sort of ceremonial and, uh, uh, antiquated, uh, technology, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how they won their war, right? Um, yeah, um, yeah, Raymond, I agree. Um, uh, Mike has become something almost, almost like a literal deus ex machina. <laughs> I, I didn't think of that, but that's exactly, that seems to me exactly right. Anyway, but Prof underrated Yammerheads. They never adopted any of his ideas. Seem to be a deep seems to be a deep instinct in human beings for making everything compulsory that isn't forbidden. Prof got fascinated by possibilities for shaping future that lay in a big smart computer and lost track of things closer home. Oh, I backed him, but now I wonder. Are food riots too high a price to pay to let people be? I don't know. Are food riots too high a price to pay to let people be? In the end, in the end, Prof's means and ends didn't pay off, right? Or rather, he didn't just temporarily sacrifice his principles in order to prevent the riots, in order to save the lives of the people. In the end, he ended up giving up his entire vision. Because by setting them free and making them govern themselves... He made them set up a government and thence taxation and laws and all of the things they didn't used to have in Luna. Um, were they happier when they were slaves? Were they happier with the authority? All of those things that made those moments that I said that kind of that make the book look like a, a little bit like a utopia. Right. Um, is all gone at the end. Now they've got a government and taxes and everything else, right? No authority. They're not slaves. Now they're free. 
but they've lost so many of those things. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, James. The book does start with them talking about taxing some businesses. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So in the end, Manny says, would food riots have been too high a price to pay? Because the result has been a loss of freedom. They've gained, they've won their freedom, but they've lost their freedom. And that's the irony of the rebellion, right? That's the irony of anarchy. Um, what does it mean to, to make an anarchist president, right? Um, Tonstoffel. There, not only is there no such thing as a free lunch, is there any such thing as freedom in the end, right? Is the sort of sober question that Manny seems to be uh, ending with here. Almost Manny's final words. Don't know any answers. Wish I could ask Mike. I wake up at night and think I've heard him. Just a whisper. Man, man, my best friend. But when I say, Mike, he doesn't answer. Is he wandering around somewhere looking for hardware to hook onto? Or is he buried down in Complex Under, trying to find way out? Those special memories are all in there somewhere, waiting to be stirred. But I can't retrieve them. They were voice-coded. I think you're right, Franny. Oh, he's dead as prof. I know it. Huh? There it is. But how dead is prof? I punched it just once more and said, Hi, Mike. Would he answer? Sorry, if I punched it just once more and, and said, Hi, Mike. Would he answer? Hi, man. Heard any good ones lately? Been a long time since I've risked it. But he can't really be dead. Nothing was hurt. He's just lost. You listening, Bog? Is a computer one of your creatures? And so we end up with Manny praying for Mike. He's just lost. Lost to Manny, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Those sound like hints at the end, doesn't it, Franny? Um... I can't retrieve them. They were voice-coded. He's dead as prof. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm feeling convinced. Again, I can't say I'm saying I can prove it, but I'm feeling convinced. Convinced that that's what happened. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very sad ending. A very sad ending. Not the sad ending I was afraid of. Right? I was afraid that like Mike was going to turn on him and it was going to be tragic and horrible. I was afraid they were going to lose uh, the revolution and it was going to be horrible. And instead, they won the revolution. And it wasn't horrible, but it's sad. Um, uh, a very sad ending. Manny's state at the end is very sad. Um, uh, everything's going really well, right? Um, but... Um, Manny is still mourning for his best friend, Mike. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's all I got. <laughs> It's hard to talk about the end of this story. I mean, we could talk about 
again, the theories about what happened and we have um, the significant. I'm not sure what to say about the significance of ending on this note of like the the one thing I'm I'm really not sure of is sort of where are we being left as readers? Do you see what I mean? Like emotionally speaking, where does Heinlein leave us at the end of this story? Um, feeling sad for Manny, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, um, it's a, a marvelously ambivalent ending. Um, and that to me seems to fit with what we've seen him doing Heinlein doing all the way along. We talked about this from the start with Prof and his principles and everything else. Um, the kind of lack of judgment, um, Heinlein has throughout, I think, left us pretty free to make our own judgments about things, how we, what we think about things, how we feel about things. He's not, he's sort of kind of left everything kind of difficult and problematic and let us sort our way through in a lot of ways. And we've had Manny as a guide. Um, So if Manny is still our guide, then how we are at the end is sad and lonely. Right? Um, Now we know he's not actually alone. Manny isn't, right? He still has Wyo and the rest of his family. Um, But... um, but yeah, Stephen, questioning what it means to be a person? Exactly. Think how few questions are firmly resolved within this book, right? right? Lots of questions raised, very few resolved. Um, but let's not forget, Manny has accomplished something, right? He has accomplished something at the end. Or in the end, by the end, he has. He's told the story. Who is his audience? And why is he telling the story? Because he wants everybody to know about Mike. In the end, Mike is the hero of the revolution. No question. It's all about Mike. What they did. They could never have done any of it without Mike. And he makes that perfectly clear. He's not the hero of the revolution. Manny isn't the hero of the revolution. Mike is the hero of the revolution. Right? Um, They owe it all to the computer. Um, And I don't think that Manny ever gets, suspects what happened with Mike. Um, Once again, we end up at the very end, I think, seeing further than Manny does, as has been the case ever since they went to Earth, at least. Right? Um, Understanding more than Manny does from his own narrative, from his own story. Um, anyway, a fascinating performance. What a gorgeously uh, handled and crafted narrative Heinlein has created in this book. Really, really remarkably done. Um, incredibly well written and balanced story and piece of world building uh, uh, and. Um, you know, uh, work of science fiction uh, that Heinlein has created. Just brilliant, brilliant stuff. But anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. This concludes our discussion. Uh, for now, anyway, uh, until Arthur corners me at the next moot and we keep fighting. 
Um, but um, thank you guys so much uh, for this discussion. This was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed this uh, uh, discussion of Heinlein um, about about you know whose works in general. I know too little, um, but um, that was a lot of fun. Next time. Next time we meet, a fortnight from tonight, it will be to discuss The Nature of Middle-Earth uh, by Carl Hostetter. So I look forward to that. Um, and uh, so get to, get, get to reading and we'll discuss the first chunk. I'm not sure how much yet, uh, but we'll, dis- uh, we'll discuss the first part in two weeks. Thank you, everybody. And I will see you guys for the next discussion. Thanks. Bye now.